Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is Reverend Rosemary with you this evening as we thank God for another day that we have to join together in the study of his word. We are going to open our study with a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the incredible gift of your word to us. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that you would open your word to our understanding to write your word in our mind and upon the tables of our heart and stir us up to be doers of your word. For it is the doers of your word that are blessed. So we thank you, O oh Lord, that as we become doers of the word, you will be, we will be transformed, O oh God, into Christ's image. And we thank you for this, Father God. We thank you for the glory for which you have made us partakers of. And we give you all honor, all praise, all adoration for what you have done and continue to do in our lives that your name, O oh Lord, will be glorified in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, the topic of our study tonight is restoration. Actually, the title of the message is God Will Restore. Amen. God Will Restore. God is indeed a God of restoration. He created man to fellowship with him, uh, to partake, that is, to share the very life, his very life, amen. Uh, therefore, for us Christians, we are called to share the very life of Jesus that is of his divine um, healing, amen, of his healing virtue, of his resurrection power. Resurrection always speaks of bringing the dead back to life. You see, God is a God of love, of peace, of prosperity, and he has come into our lives to set up his kingdom, amen, which Romans chapter 4 and verse 17 tells us is a kingdom of righteousness, of peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So Jesus' word to us is that he has come that we might have life and life in abundance. Amen. And when we give our life to Christ, 
our old man was crucified in Christ so that the new man might come to life in us. Amen. Therefore, the reality of being a new creation is meant to be living, a living and experiential reality for every believer. So if we are facing situations, um, challenges that have shown to be persistent, we must be encouraged in knowing that God wants it to be well with us. And he has come to do just that, to bring restoration to us. And God knows how to do it. Amen. And he's, he started this process of restoration by doing the first and should I say the, the most important aspect of restoration, which is to restore the spirit of man. Hallelujah. Restoration starts always inwardly. Amen. First spirit and then soul and body and everything else after that, uh, that, that is on the outside, such as uh, our uh, relationships, our finances, etc. So the reason being is that man is a spirit being. And the real things about men are not about his body. It's nothing that is physical. You see, when Jesus said in John 8 uh, and verse 36, that him who the son sets free is free indeed, amen, he meant the liberation of the spirit man. Hallelujah. So the spirit man needs to be free. And Jesus says that he shall make us free indeed. Hallelujah. This was not, again, in reference to physical slavery when he speaks about freedom. You see, man's deliverance is threefold. First of all, spiritual deliverance from the hand of the enemy. We also have physical deliverance, secondly, from sickness, from lack, from poverty, amen, uh, from hunger. That's part of the deliverance that God has brought to us. And there is also mental deliverance from being ruled by the senses. You see, man's spirit had been a slave since 
sin entered humanity. And now a born again believer is able to dominate his thinking and physical actions. Hallelujah. Because he's a new creation in Christ. Christ is living in him. He is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And this new creation in Christ can do all things, including dominating his thinking and his physical actions. Amen. So God started with what I said is the most important, the restoration of man's spirit. And in doing that, he brought the restoration of man's relationship with him. Again, as mentioned, we were created uh, for fellowship with God, to give him pleasure. Uh, we are told that in Revelation 4.11. And, you know, but sin came into the picture and separated us from God. Uh, Romans 3.23 said that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. So because of, of the fact that we have fallen short of the glory of God, we were separated from God. And it would not be beneficial for God to remain separated from men. The reason why God created men is because of his love. God is love. And God wants to have people to fellowship with. Hallelujah. And we see that men became separated from him, from God. And because of that, God had to come up with a plan to reconcile men to him. And therefore, Jesus became the bridge to join man with God. We all know John 3, 16, that tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Hallelujah. And so we see that Jesus came to be this bridge. Actually, there is also another verse here that I would like to note. First uh, Timothy chapter two, verse five, and then also the very first part there of verse six. I'm going to read that passage. First Timothy two, verses five, and just the first part of verse six. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Amen. So we see here again, it's very well explained that Jesus became the bridge. He became the mediator. Hallelujah between God and man. So this restoration that God gave came to bring to mankind came through redemption. Hallelujah. 
Jesus, God actually bought us back through the, with the blood of his son, Jesus. And Jesus provided us a perfect redemption. Hallelujah. We know that indeed we were redeemed through with the blood of Jesus because the Bible tells us so. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Hallelujah. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're looking at verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Amen. So this is clearly spelled out here that we were redeemed how? By, with the precious blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. So this is how the restoration came about through redemption, through the blood of Jesus. And the first aspect of this redemption that we have to bear in mind is that when we talk about redemption, we are talking about the defeat of Satan. Satan has been conquered, amen, fully conquered. For lack of time, I'm going to give you some references that you can um, look up, amen, but that clearly explain how Satan was conquered. In Hebrews chapter two, verses 14 and 15, you can write that down. We are told that Satan's authority was stripped away. And not only that, but the spirit of fear was dealt with. That's the spirit of fear made men subject to bondage and God dealt with that spirit, amen. Another scripture that I would like for you to note is Colossians chapter two, verses 14 and 15, which tells us that the enemy no longer has any power over us. Amen, hallelujah. That he, Jesus spawned principalities and powers and made you know, a show of them meaning a spectacle of him openly, amen, and that he took away everything that the, the, the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, and he nailed it to his cross. Praise God. So we see that the enemy no longer has any power over us. And then in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, we see here that because of what Jesus did, he has our, the authority that we lost, we've regained it. It was given back to us. 
Hallelujah. And so we now have the power to go against the enemy. Hallelujah. Go on the offensive against the enemy. We have authority over all the power of the enemy. And the, we are told in that verse that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Praise God. Hallelujah. And one more scripture that I would like to add to this uh, is Romans chapter 6 and verse 14 that tells us that sin does not have dominion over the believer. Praise God. Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. So the revelation of what Jesus accomplished and who we are and to know the exceeding greatness of his power towards those who believe is crucial for the believer. Amen. And actually, let me just give you one more, uh, two more sets of scriptures that you can look up. Uh, one being Ephesians chapter one. If you read from seven, the verse, verse 17 to verse 23, you see that this is um, explained what Christ has done for us and the power that he has towards those who believe and how God raised us up. And we are seated with him in Ephesians 2 and verse 6. Hallelujah. And so what we see from that is that when Jesus arose from the dead, he left and eternally, completely and eternally defeated Satan behind him. Amen. So in thinking about restoration, we have to carry that in our mind that the enemy is completely defeated. Amen. Moreover, we must understand that the Bible says that we are redeemed to God and we were also made unto him kings and priests. What does this mean? Let's go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5, and we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. And this song a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Hallelujah. This is a packed, you know, 
that verse right here. However, um, let's go ahead and break this down very quickly. I mean, the essential points here that I would like to focus on that Jesus brought us back to the one who originally created us. Notice that it says that he has redeemed us to God. Amen. Hallelujah. So we were redeemed to God. He brought us back to God. We originally belonged to God. Then men fell. And now God comes and he brings us back with the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. And he didn't just leave us the way he found us or gave up on humanity. He redeemed us, hallelujah, with his own blood. And then secondly, we are told here that he redeemed us and made us kings and priests, hallelujah, which means that he found us in a fallen condition. He brought us back to him and now he, has, he gave us new, a new life and a new identity. We are now kings and priests unto, and notice that, which is a third point, our God, not just unto God, but unto our God, hallelujah. We no longer belong to the God of this world. We belong to God. Our restoration cost Jesus his life. And Jesus had to die to bring us back to God. So therefore, when we combine what Jesus did for us with our faith in him, we are restored to him and we belong to him. Hallelujah. And then one more thing that we see in this verse is that it's an additional benefit is that we are now called to reign, hallelujah, on earth. Praise God. This is awesome that we can actually reign on earth. And at the same time, we are also assured a place in heaven. Amen. So we see truly that God is a restorer. He does not look at our past mistakes and excludes us from his promises. And, but also we have to understand that it is neither, it is not on the basis of any good works that we have done. What counts again is mixing our faith in him with what he has done. Hallelujah. Praise God. It is our faith that brings God's promises to us. God honors faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse six actually tells us that without faith, 
it is impossible to please him. Amen. And we also know, most of us, we know this verse from Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 that tells us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but who walk not after the flesh, but who walk according to the spirit. So when we put our faith in Christ Jesus and we choose to walk according to the spirit, not the flesh, the Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So it's all about him, what he has done. We are in him. And because of that, there is no condemnation to us. We are raised up solely by the shed blood of Jesus. And it does not matter, therefore, what happened in the past. God does not raise us up because of the good things or the bad things that we have done, but because we have faith in the finished work of Christ Jesus on the cross. So God can and does take people who are not perfect, amen? Actually, who is perfect but him? Only Jesus, hallelujah. And whether we've had wrong lifestyles, sinful lifestyles, God can take such people who put their faith in him and use them mightily in his kingdom and for his glory. For example, we all are all, we are all familiar with Paul the apostle who used to be called Saul of Tarsus and who went around persecuting Christians. But you see, God was able to take a man like him and change him to Paul the apostle. And this man was so sold out for the Lord that he committed his life to the great commission of making known the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, he wrote most of the books of the New Testament. He established churches all over Asia and Europe and was in turn persecuted and suffered and gladly accepted to die as a martyr for the cause of the gospel. So yes, God can take people who are far less than perfect and transform them, hallelujah, into a weapon, weapons, hallelujah, his, his own weapons of war, his own instruments of righteousness, hallelujah, to be used by him to advance his kingdom. God can take a man like of, you know, Jacob. If there is someone that I would never think that God could use, it's a man like Jacob, um, you know, who spent his life deceiving others. And God turned him into Israel, a prince of God, and the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And again, thinking about someone that most of us never really think about, uh, a character in the Bible 
is this woman by the name of Rahab. God could take such a woman and raise her up to a level that she could maybe never possibly imagine or anyone for that matter. If only she would trust in him and put her total assurance in him. Amen. So if God has done this with such people, we have to believe also that God can and will bring restoration to our lives. It is his will to restore. He will rebuild what is broken in our life. He will restore, for example, homes that are broken. He will remove the broken dreams, amen, and turn our life into something that is sweet. The only thing that moves God is our faith. You know, the, the, the prophet Joel spoke about God's plan to restore his people. And this is what he says in Joel chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. He says, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worms and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I set among you, and you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. Hallelujah. Uh, let's quickly jump to verse 28. He says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Amen. Actually, this is the most important part of the restoration here. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Amen. Notice the emphasis on God restoring the lives of his people, not only physical restoration, amen, because he spoke about restoring the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm. So, you know, the, the enemy had done great damage to the land of Israel, amen. So financially, they, they had suffered great loss, but God not only comes to bring in physical restoration of natural resources that were lost or stolen by the enemy, but most importantly, he comes to bring spiritual restoration. Spiritual restoration speaks of the spirit of the living God living in us, the almighty Holy Spirit, amen. Um, there are two verses there that I love to use in showing how the spirit of God uh, lives in us. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. You can write that down in your notes, but then we are going to read another verse, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. Let's turn to that passage 
2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16, that tells us that we are the temple of God. Amen. And so it says, it reads, for ye are the temple. Actually, it starts in saying, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Amen. And then it goes on to say, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Amen. Hallelujah. So we see here again, God's desire to live in us expressed, uh, and that he, he wants to manifest himself in and through us. And in order to do this, God must restore our inner man by putting the law, his law in our mind and writing it on our heart, amen. In other words, there is an inward dwelling of his word in us. This has always been God's plan for his people. And he spoke not only to the prophet there, Joel, but to the prophet Jeremiah, and we're going to turn to that passage as well, um, showing how God wants to tabernacle in his people. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 33. Amen. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Amen. Hallelujah. So God that has wanted to do this from the time that man fell from glory, Amen. When men became separated from him. And God accomplished it through the blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus. Hallelujah. He has done it all. And he has now made us the temple of the Holy Spirit, where he has reconciled us unto him. And he has come to live in us by his spirit who is dwelling in us. Hallelujah. Before then, God did not dwell in his people, but now the tabernacle is in us. Hallelujah. So from ancient time, times, we can see God's workings to bring restoration. You see, the Holy Spirit worked in certain spirit, I mean, certain people, um, a type of spiritual understanding, which when they acted upon it, it changed their lives, it changed their circumstances, it impacted their generations forever. Uh, for example, Abraham, we know that we know his story. Hallelujah. Uh, we know the story of Paul, how God, we just talked about it, transformed him from Saul of Tarsus to 
um, Paul the Apostle, we also saw how Jacob, the deceiver, was changed to Israel, uh, the prince of God who became the, 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 the head of, of the 12 tribes of Israel. But such a person, as I mentioned earlier that we really don't think much about, is this woman Rahab. A woman who, whose lifestyle was shameful, whose living was to exchange sexual favors for money. And yet we found out how God was able to bring restoration to her life. Amen. You see, Rahab was living in Jericho, which was a city on the verge of conquest. But somehow she knew that this was about to happen. She knew that her city was about to be destroyed. How did she intuitively know that? It could only be from the Holy Spirit. Just think of it, a whole city, Jericho, where there are many, many people, but yet it is this one individual who picks up on what God is doing. Hallelujah. This woman, Rahab, was a woman looking into a future in which destruction seemed inevitable. Already her situation from a human perspective was hopeless, living in that society in, with that status and her lifestyle. And now knowing what would be soon happening to her city. So I'm sure that something in her made her feel hopeless, made her feel helpless. And I believe that there are times in our own personal lives that we experience such moments, amen, where we are, we find ourselves in a very difficult situation, in a sort of crisis, and we feel that there is no way out, that this thing is really going to bring destruction to many areas of our life, it, that it will devastate us. And we may, some of us may have gone through these things in the past, such crises in the past, or even now, somebody may be walking through such a situation. 
a situation that they would never think that they could find themselves facing. You see, the word crisis, I'm sure nobody likes the sound of this word, knowing what it means. It's usually when we hear it, we equate it to some kind of unstable situation of extreme danger and difficulty. And that's true. But at the same time, a crisis can also be a crucial stage or a turning point in the course of something. When we are in a crisis that seems hopeless and helpless, life can become filled with confusion, uh, meaning disorder, disturbance, commotion, and it's the total opposite of peace. And we know that God is not a God of confusion. Actually, the Bible tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33, it tells us that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Amen. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So nonetheless, confusion can strike anyone. Even a righteous person like Job, uh, we are told that he faced, um, he had his share of suffering. And yet the Bible says of him that at his time, during his days, that he was the most righteous man on the face of the earth. So we know that even a righteous person can face a situation that may seem helpless, hopeless, and filled with confusion, amen. But what we have to learn as children of God is to allow God to turn these adverse situations to our benefit, amen. I mentioned that um, a crisis is a situation in which we can, uh, you know, we can work with God so that a good decision can, can come out of us that will result in a good result or in a blessing. In other words, what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn for good. But you see this crisis can either, can take us one direction or another. It will make either our life better or get worse. That's why it's a turning point. And we have to know how to work together with God so that what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn around for good. And many of the biblical characters that we read about have found themselves in many such situations. And for a moment there, I would just would like to focus on this woman, Rahab, seeing just how utterly hopeless and helpless she was and how 
she experienced circumstances which, because of her surrender to God, that he used to position her for a greater purpose. Amen. Rahab's story is found in the book of Joshua. You can go ahead and read um, Joshua chapter 2 and then also Joshua chapter 6. Amen. Um, in looking at Rahab's life, it would have been very difficult to imagine a way out of the confusion um, that she had found herself. Nothing short of devastation is what we probably anticipated. And we, we probably would not be able on a human level to see how any decision could, that she could make would result in her being blessed. But we know that our God is good, hallelujah, that he is, he is a God of restoration and he's always looking therefore to bring restoration to people's lives. And regardless of the, the situation, how drastic it may be, how dire it might be, amen, God's ways are way above our ways and he thoughts, his thoughts above our thoughts. Hallelujah. He is the way maker, the God who creates a way where there is no way, amen. So in light of this, I believe that it causes us to reflect upon our own life and see what is it or what it is that we may be going through right now, that we may be facing and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what we can do to turn this into a stepping ground or a stepping stone, sorry, a stepping stone to higher ground. In other words, a catalyst for a greater standing in our Christian life. Amen. We, we therefore must examine ourselves with the lens of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit will start revealing to us this treasure that we have inside of us, which the apostle Paul spoke of in 2 Corinthians chapter four and verse seven. And he says that we have a treasure, this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us, amen. So this treasure in us is filled with possibilities and potentialities. And when we begin to bring forth this treasure that God has put in us, our whole life, begins to change. You see, we didn't, we, God did not just put us here on the earth uh, without a plan in mind. He knows the plans 
that he has for us. Thoughts, he says, to prosper you, to give you a future, to give you hope, to give you an expected end. Hallelujah. And so everything about us was strategically designed by God, even to the place where we were born, who our parents were, the giftings he has placed inside of us, our ethnicity, our gender, everything about us. God has designed us on purpose and for a specific purpose, amen. And the enemy of our soul does not want us to bring forth this treasure that is in us. He does not want us to to bring uh, to birth the potentialities and promises of God that God deposited in us. Amen. And so what he does is to send distractions. And by distraction, I'm not speaking about the things such as pleasures or fun entertainment, but I'm speaking about the pressure from troubles, the adversities, the persecutions, anything that will take our attention from God and cause us to become self-focused. So the, the devil sends this distraction to disillusion God's people, to depress us, to defeat us, and make us question whether or not we can do what God says we can do, we can, or we can be who God has called us to be, or can we have what God says we can have? And so when these distractions come, we must cling to the truth that God has called us with an eternal purpose, amen. And no matter where we are right now, for example, and in looking at this woman Rahab's life, in looking at what, where she was, amen. I believe that by divine inspiration, she realized that this is not the place where she would be for the rest of her life. This is not what God had created her for. You see, God's word says that he who begins, begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So God has appointed us for a particular work. We are actually his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, hallelujah. And he is the one who is the author of the work that he's called us to, that is buried deep within us. And he is the one who is going to finish it as we yield to him. And whatever it is that we may be going through, I believe that however hard it might be, we have to realize that these are just 
chapters in our life. But it's not the end of the book. Amen. Hallelujah. God has the final word. It is his purpose. It is his word, his counsel that shall stand. The word of God tells us. And he will do all his pleasure. Amen. So Rahab, in the midst of her crisis, faced the very real possibility of battle and devastation. But yet, in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 11, she makes an outstanding, spectacular statement for somebody from Jericho living the lifestyle that she was. She says to the spies whom Joshua had sent to spy out the city of Jericho. She said, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Amen, Joshua 2 and verse 11. You see, there is so much in that one statement. We see a woman here standing, depleted, probably washed out and emotionally drained and physically exhausted from living such an awful and debasing lifestyle. And in that state, she says to these two Israeli spies who come to her home, she says, I know that your God, the Lord, he is God in heaven and above the earth. At that moment, what she was doing was confessing the greatness and the goodness of the God of the Israelites. And she was also inferring this, that what nobody could do for her, what money couldn't buy, what religion couldn't buy, that the God of the Israelites could do it for her. Hallelujah. That he was able to do all things. He says he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. Therefore, it is his counsel that shall stand. Amen. It is, he has all power and all authority to meet all needs in life and in my life as well. That's what she inferred here by that statement that she made. And it's out of this confrontation with the truth of who God is, her recognition and acknowledgement of God's ability that she not only confesses that God is God above all others, hallelujah, that he is preeminent, but that she cries out also for deliverance, for just not only herself, but her whole family. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. 
You see, God is in the business of restoring lives. And if we are born again believers, our destiny is not to fall under the weight of the pressures of the situations or the crisis that we may be going through, but to overcome, hallelujah, overcome the world, overcome the system of the world in every area of life. We're just seeing here how God can take a woman like Rahab and completely restore her and raise her and turn her ashes into beauty. Amen. You see, knowing that God is in the business of restoring lives, what we have to do is agree with him. And we come to him in faith and follow through with everything that the Holy Spirit lays on our heart and what his word says, hallelujah, and watch God bring restoration. It's a restoration that he himself desires for us. So regardless of the past, God hears the hard cry of every person who calls out to him and declares that he is Lord over heaven and earth. Praise God. And it doesn't matter whether we are men, women, young, old, educated, uneducated, rich and, or poor. It does not matter our culture, our race, our nationality. It is our faith that honors God and empowers us to attain all that the Father has promised us. Amen. Hallelujah. Notice that the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. And we see in this story that Rahab was quick to get to work. She did her own working, amen, the work required by God. James 2 verse 25 says this, likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So we must act upon what God has promised us and be doers of the word, not just hearers, the Bible tells us, because the hearers are only deceiving themselves. So it doesn't matter how small or insignificant or unimportant that sometimes the enemy injects the thoughts that he injects in our mind. But we should not receive them and dwell on them. But rather we should keep in mind that it is God who knows who we are. And he knows where we are. 
He knows all about our hopes, all about our dreams, our fears, and our disappointment. He knows everything about us and our circumstances. And most importantly, our God cares. Hallelujah. Praise God. So we must learn to look beyond our natural limitations. Look beyond what the world is telling us and see what God sees. Amen. Remember the, um, the account of David, David's confrontation with Goliath? Now, who would ever imagine that a teenage boy with a sling would bring down a nine foot tall warrior champion with just a single stone between the eyes? You see what happened to Rahab? She comes to a place where she tells them, the, the, those two spies, she said to them, I beg of you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you also will show me kindness to my father's house. Amen. So notice that Rahab was an intelligent woman. It's just that, you know, society, the world system dealt her a pretty bad, you know, fate. And so notice how this woman, what she does, she doesn't ask. Stingily, she is, she asks largely. She asks not just for herself. She doesn't ask only for crumbs, but she asks large to a God she knows can give liberally. And this woman is, as we look at the end of the story, used by God to save not only herself, but her whole family. And as I said earlier, is elevated to heights of glory she could not even have dreamed of. You know, the word of God names her in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is true restoration indeed. And God wants to do it for all of us as well, all his children. Amen. And so let's remember that God does not think the way we think or do things the way we do. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight through nine, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways. Your ways, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. And since God's ways are not men's ways, he is therefore not restricted to men's methods. Hallelujah. 
God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and using whoever he wants to accomplish anything that he wants. So Genesis chapter 8, 18, sorry, Genesis 18 and verse 15 asked the rhetorical question, is anything too hard for the Lord? We find the answer in Luke chapter one and verse 37. That tells us, for with God, nothing will be impossible, amen. And as we close, let's keep this in mind that God measures by a different standard from that of the world. And this is why we who are believers must break out of the mindset that tells us that we are either little or weak or unimportant, insignificant or useless simply because that may be the way the world sees us. The world's evaluation does not really matter. What matters is how God sees us. He has come to bring restoration to our lives. And therefore, the conviction of each believer, regardless of our condition now, if it's not in the best, the best that we are we're hope that we were hoping for, where let's start expecting what God says is His plan for us. And therefore, our conviction should be that. We are not product of our past, nor of our environment. That we are not what people say we are. But rather, we are who God says we are. And that we are willing to move into the destiny that God has prepared for us. Hallelujah. And God says that we can succeed, succeed and that we have a future that is blessed, that is fulfilling, that is eternally rewarding. And so this must be our conviction. And if it is, then let us rise, hallelujah, press forward with God, asking for more grace to move with him, to leave the past, to embrace all that he has for us because he is our God, not just God, but he is our God and he is our restorer. And he says, I will restore, amen. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, in the name of Jesus, for your word of exhortation and instruction to us, O God, reminding us that you are a God of restoration and you will restore to us all that the enemy has stolen. Only if we take you at your word. So Lord, we thank you for even the precious gift of faith that you have given us. For the faith that we live by is your faith deposited in us. Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. Even now working in us, enabling us to see ourselves as you see us. I pray, O oh Lord, that no one will leave this meeting the same, but that everyone will have a divine encounter with you with your spirit, drawing us closer to you. And Father, we thank you for our willingness to yield to you so that you can bring the correction, the transformation, and the restoration where it is needed. Father, we thank you for salvation, for deliverance, for healing and for divine elevation for each and every one of us. We pray, Father, that we will stay honest and sensitive to your word, O oh God. Let your word dwell in us richly with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, O oh God. And Father, we will be quick as we embrace all that you have for us, we will be quick to give you the glory, the honor and the praise for what you have done, what you continue to do in us and through us to glorify your most holy name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen and amen. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray that this study has been a blessing to you. I invite you to join us again next Wednesday at the same time. God bless you and have a good night.